welcome to a podcast that has yet to have a name, but hopefully we'll figure that out early on here in the conversation. This is uh, Josh Burrows, and uh, this is our podcast about jokes, part of the Perry Veritas Network. And uh, I am here with a co-founder and uh, a podcast network founder extraordinaire, um, a talent extraordinaire in his own right. Eric Norvell, who joins me for this podcast, hopefully uh, forever and ever. <laughs> we'll see how long I can keep him on board. <laughs> I think the introduction is a little overblown. Um, <laughs> podcast talent, mediocre, maybe. Mediocre. More, uh, or even subordinaire, maybe listen, if that's a word. Listen, you put the care in mediocre, okay? <laughs> uh, or the I don't care in mediocre. Care. <laughs> so tell tell us what this is all about. This is this is your idea. This is another one of the talented um, ex rabbis. Good ideas, <laughs> and so, <laughs> it was thrown at me as like in a bundle of ideas, and I thought, well, let's give this one a shot because. As I mentioned in a previous other podcast, Sunshine and Brain, I literally raised my psychological and emotional self on comedy, on stand-up yeah. comedy. Yeah. And it caused me to speak in a certain way for many years that would evoke humor for no good reason. Oh, yeah. Not even funny things were being said. <laughs> There's a scene in what's the name of the movie with Denzel Washington where he oh Training Day where he's yeah. with Scott Scott Glenn mm -hmm. and Scott Glenn tells a joke ostensibly a joke to Ethan Hawke but it's not funny but the way he does it especially to uh, I think Ethan Hawke is on a uh, PCP at this time <laughs> the way he does it evokes laughter. Even though there's nothing funny, it's actually just a cruel story. Um, so yeah, that that's something that is part and parcel. Of maybe some things we'll talk about: delivery styles, um, the things that underpin these jokes. The, tell us what the uh, basis for this is, Josh. So, uh, like you, you know, I, I grew up on comedy. I mean, I think when I think back on my childhood, there's a handful of moments where you know, I encountered a thing and, and came up, came alive, you know, where it was like, Oh yeah, something about this feels right. And I know I'm going to love it through adulthood. Um, music was one of those things for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, comedy was absolutely one of those things. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the experience of interacting with comedy was in a lot of ways about the, first of all, about the personalities that you encountered in each comedian who you sort of fell in love with. And you can judge how much you would like a person like back in middle school based off of which comedians you preferred over other ones, you know, <laughs> like the Stephen Wright kids are my favorite because like you just, if you get Stephen Wright, then you're going to get me. And then, you know, and then we're going to be able to talk about stuff. And, uh, um, but really what it was, um, and this is kind of what brought this podcast around was a chance to bring your personality alive because, you know, at least in my world, most of the kids that I would talk to spent a lot of time memorizing jokes. 
you know, jokes that um, they had heard that they had, you know, uh, people, people had told them, but also jokes by comedians. Um, and I can still remember, you know, sitting down and really trying to like grow a repertoire of jokes that I had heard, like routines that I had heard comedians do. Um, and I, and so I guess the thought was with this podcast to try to approach our love, you know, our mutual love of comedy through the gateway of, you know, looking at some of our favorite jokes over, over the years, one joke at a time, maybe two or three per episode. And, you know, do like a literary review of the joke, talk about why it works, why we love it so much, and maybe put it in context of um, when we use the joke or, um, you know, what it makes us think of, whatever. And I don't know, I, I, I feel like the secret to a good podcast is finding a topic that, that you can imagine talking about forever. And the secret to a good podcast is not sucking. Yeah, that's yeah. a start. That's a, that's um, a start. But you want to find something that you want to talk about forever, you know? And I could talk about this forever, man. And, and I feel like you could too. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of where the idea came from. I'm trying to avoid what has been pointed out to me by my children that uh, I range into the grandpa storytelling mode of like, <laughs> well, let me tell you, Eddie Murphy was the youngest Saturday Night Live. Oh, and now I've started to sound like the comedian that we're actually going to talk about a little bit, right? Where, oh, just Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is uh, Josh's, one of Josh's favorites. This is uh, Emo Phillips, the great Emo Phillips, still performing uh, after all these years. But this joke that we're going to talk about is from like the early 80s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from the early 80s. Uh, he's super young. And um, he had developed this joke and he told it during um, what I think is one of the more brilliant stand-up specials that you can sort of find where he, you know, does his Emo Phillips thing, um, where, which is a mixture of, you know, one-liners and sort of two-liners and very quick setup, you know, takedown jokes. Like uh, some of my favorites by him were things like, uh, um, I don't know if you remember this one, but my girlfriend wanted me to get her something new and spontaneous for her birthday, something she would never have any use for. So I signed her up for a radiation treatment. <laughs> you, remember, <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's funny. It's completely, I mean, that was like what he, it's complete ridiculousness, you know. And now the last words of my grandfather, a truck. <laughs> I mean... I mean, really easy to memorize. You could get into character. He's eclectic enough where if you find someone else who likes him, you can do the joke exchange where maybe they've got ones that you don't know and you've got ones that they don't know. And then you kind of double your repertoire really quick. Um, but this particular joke that I really, um, you know, love the idea of wanting to start off with, especially because of my personal story and career path, having been a rabbi and now, not being one and therefore, you know, not necessarily therefore, but in my particular story, having been religious and now being sort of anti-religious, he, he wrote a, a joke that's known today as actually the greatest joke about religion of all time. Like if you were to Google greatest joke about religion of all time, this is the joke that you would get. And uh, it's a particular mantle that it holds and I really, really appreciate it. And so that was why I, I was excited to start with this one. Um, so- What do you- what do you know about Emo Phillips? Like, what do we, what, 
first of all, what do we know about him? And can you describe? I'd love to try and describe him. Oh my but god! It, it, but it would come out as very unflattering, uh, just well, because it's easy to poke fun at him. But go the ahead. Best, and, the best way to describe him is to is to describe him as uh, Johnny Depp's performance in um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I mean, Johnny Depp said that he um, channeled Michael Jackson for that performance. But if you look at him, the his style of hair, his mannerisms, the way he talked and moved around, I mean, that there was a lot of Emo Phillips in that. Um, but uh, yeah, um, really heady comedian. Um, I don't know a lot about him, except that he's been like married happily to, I think, re- to, um, what's, what's her name? <laughs> Some famous actress, that would surprise you. He's been married happily to her for like a really long time. Um, and he, he's a super private guy. He, every, every interview he does, every public appearance, he does it in character. He's Emo Phillips, and that's not who he actually is. Um, so that's sort of all I know about him. I didn't really do a deep dive on the internet <laughs> in reference for this. I just fucking love the joke, man. <laughs> yeah. The way that I would describe Emo Phillips is... Um, as a, he, he, he portrays this sort of weirdly innocent, almost um, not deranged, maybe th- there's, a, there's a hint of derangement in there, which yeah. y- is just burbling right under the surface mm-hmm. because he comes off as childlike. You almost feel at some point that he's going to have to leave to change his diaper and come back out and tell some more jokes. He, he, he's purposely affected in this childlike manner, a higher voice, the weird straight bowl hair. Mm-hmm. It's not even bowl. It's like a longish bowl. It's like a mm-hmm. bowl mullet. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and then weird attire um, with these, you know, f- surprising jokes that are complicated in some ways and uh, surprisingly dark, which is yeah. what I think this joke that we're going to talk about is it, it's it's got the longest setup what is it, like a four minute setup it's a four minute setup just to get to the religious part of the joke yeah yeah and, right. and it's a lot of zingers in the setup too i mean it's one sort of line after the other and you're 100 percent right by the way i mean listening to your description of, to your description of him the thought i had was you know if he was trying to come out as a comedian today i don't know that he would be allowed to do what he's doing Um, I think people would accuse him of making light of folks who might be on the spectrum, you know, um, um, I think they might accuse him of, um, you know, trying to sort of appropriate, um, maybe certain, uh, um, you know, challenges that people face in order to get folks to laugh at it. Like, do you think that he would be able to do what he does now if he was just coming out now? It depends on who they are that you're referring to. If you're talking about public sentiment, people have always had trouble with comedians. Yeah. And it it goes back a long, long way. It goes back to George Carlin, Lenny Bruce. You know, people don't like to hear things that they don't like to hear. And they don't like Mm -hmm. to see things that might offend them. They believe there's a line out there. And there, there, you can, you can look at the, philosophical discussion that Dave Chappelle had when he won the Mark Twain award, mm-hmm. essentially saying, you know, we're all out here doing our craft. Mm-hmm. I know guys who are racist, you know, 
it, mm-hmm. I know it, but they're trying to do their craft and I don't hold it against them. Comedy and comedy clubs in particular have been a safe space. You hear that word used in the context of, oh, it, it hurts my feelings. I have to go to a safe space in my humanities class right. uh, in college. No, right. it's a safe space for comedians to experiment with where is the line? What is the line? What's funny? What's not funny? Those are all the same thing. What is funny and what is not funny is going to tell you where the line is. Look at a guy like Sam Kinison. You may or may not believe it, but his stuff is patently offensive. Would not get airtime post-2016. Would not be welcomed. But if you listen to it, you'll hear it and say, okay, I can see how people found that funny. Because his delivery... His sensibilities, the context of what he was talking about was perfect, was excellent. And it was artistry. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think you're hundred percent right. And I think that there probably are versions of Sam Kinison out there today um, that, you know, of comedians that are kind of of the same ilk that do very well, but at the same time sort of can't, can't make it past a certain, you know, uh, you know, ceiling that that stops them from becoming the super popular comedians. But I do think also that generally speaking, comedians today are trying to side on the kind of err on the side of authenticity, where their you know their on stage personas are almost like caricatures of who they really are, um, just presented in a hilarious way, you know, to get people to to get people to laugh. But you know, you look at someone like Emo Phillips. I mean, he's got this he's got this really unique on stage persona that um that you know <laughs> is like just so much apart i mean his jokes are brilliant even without it but then you add that i mean in this special he is putting together and taking apart a trombone the entire fucking time the entire i mean like the and it's a it's a layer of hilarity on top of what he's already doing which is a layer of hilarity on top of his body mannerisms and what he's doing with his hair and how he's like gesticulating with his arms and all this stuff. And then the way he uses his voice and then also the brilliant things that he's saying, it's just all coming at you at once. And um, it's pretty amazing in terms of how he puts it together. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think you can like maybe loop him in with like other character comedians like that, like maybe Bobcat, right? Um, I also think, you you mentioned Stephen Wright earlier. I think Stephen yeah. Wright is very much a character. Like he he comes totally. off as a he portrays himself as a a dry, um, slow paced one liner comedian, but that's intentional. It, it's meant as an affectation. Mm-hmm. As are any number of you know comedians that are out there today. There, I agree with you that some of it is more or less confessionalism mm-hmm. portrayed in a clever light. Mm-hmm. But they're still, the successful comedians tend to have a characterization. They tend yep. to have some sort of character that they're playing. I mean, before he fell from grace for um, jerking off in front of people, <laughs> Louis C.K., he, he had a persona. He was the, yeah. the fat middle-aged dad. And, yep. It wasn't entirely confessionalism. It was no. acting. It was portrayal of a character. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, you have all of those things. It's just that guys like Emo Phillips, um, guys like Bobcat Goldthwait, they take that and add elements that clearly are just weird and bizarre. Bobcat Goldthwait is a truly distinguished artist. I mean, yeah. he's worked very hard at putting out, you know, practiced, well put together films. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to re-edit that. He's worked hard at putting out good movies. And he also was, you know, one of Robin Williams's best friends. Yeah. He's a normal person. Yep. A totally normal human being. Gilbert Gottfried, another yeah. one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another one. But, but one thing I would say about Bobcat and about Gilbert is that their personas, as ridiculous as they are and were, because Bobcat doesn't do as so much anymore, but uh, their personas are somewhat kind of close to who they actually are. Not so much Bobcat, but when you look at someone like Mitch Hedberg, for example, I mean, his persona was nuts, but I feel like if you were to meet him in person, it's basically the same, the same persona. <laughs> Just a dude talking like that, you know? Um, right. But with Emo, it's like, I don't even, I can't even picture what he, you know, would sound like just talking normally. Um, it's always in that character. And he was actually on um, an episode of You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes a couple of years ago. And it was a live episode and he was fully in character for the whole interview. And just fascinating in terms of how he responded to the questions and everything else. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's brilliant. So do you want to get to the joke itself? Yeah, let's hit it. Let's hit the joke. All right. So how do we uh, do that? Do you want to like play a couple sections or we can just, I can go by memory in terms of how it goes? let's go and I'm, I'm going to edit this so we can just kind of freeform it right now. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, I'll let you talk about it because you're, uh, you know it really well and I watched yeah. it and I think it's hilarious, but just talk about, I think I can give a link or an address and a link to it maybe from the um, podcast um, at some point in the liner notes, I can even put it in the liner notes, um, a link to the YouTube video. So why don't you start with um, how it begins and how he leads into it? All right, cool. Um so okay so yeah so how how the joke goes he um he basically first of all he's got the trombone thing going the whole, the whole time what's the trombone why does he have a trombone so he he brings the trombone out as if he's going to play the trombone at some point he comes out carrying this trombone case and as he's starting the special he like undo like he flips open the latch and it just opens up in this trombone comes tumbling out of the fucking case and he's like basically talking to the audience and putting it together as if he's going to play a song in the trombone but he just keeps taking it apart and putting it together throughout the entire show dropping it on the ground trying to balance it on the stool you know all kinds of stuff it's it's unbelievable and you're watching it and it's at first it's distracting but then it's just so hilarious that it's it's uh it's, it's really brilliant. So even just hearing the joke doesn't quite do it enough because he's got this whole other layer of, um, of hilarity that's going on there that you know, just makes it that much more brilliant. But he basically sets the stage by 
saying, um, you know, and doing it in his voice is kind of hard, but I'll try a little bit. You know, so I was walking on the Golden Gate Bridge the other day, and I saw a man standing on the ledge about to jump. And I thought that I needed to stop him. And so I went to grab him or cajole him or something, you know, just long enough so that I could put film in the camera. <laughs> Which like, he says that with perfect deadpan. And, you know, obviously that's a little bit dated, but the version of that for today is to like open up the camera on my iPhone. <laughs> So I can film yep. this dude jumping. So that's how we just get started, like immediately. Um, so when did like, the, like, you had a chance to watch this joke. At what point did it like catch you? Like, oh, this is something different. Was it there at the first hook or did it take a minute for you to jump into it? I think that he is a deft enough storyteller that the hook works from the outset. You know that it's going someplace. And what he's doing is he's hitting beats that are allowing you to stay engaged because it's mm -hmm. funny. It's funny all the way through. And it's one of those jokes that builds because he, he starts off with once you get to him trying to talk to the potential jumper, right? He, he then, you know, he, he engages in this sort of inner monologue of, well, how can I talk to this guy and maybe, get him to know that he's not alone in the world and that that's the basis right, right he, he's right. saying you know i just want to talk to, he's, he's acting as a sort of uh counselor to prevent this guy from ending his life and so he's looking for something in common how he's not alone and that's where the seed starts because you know you're watching a comedy show uh -huh. for fuck's sake it's emo phillips you're oh, watching yeah. him i mean it's going to be funny or it's at least going to be weird as shit and so he, you know, he hooks you with that. I was to put, put the film in my camera. That's glib. It's funny. That'll keep you. And he'll, he continues to pace the joke that way. Yeah. So I, I listened and I continued to listen because he peppered it with enough uh, semi-sarcastic, mostly uh, genuinely weird things throughout the joke. Yo, the, 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 the one line that I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I forgot that that was in here was the bit where he says, so, you know, he approaches the guy and, and the guy turns to him and he says, you know, and I noticed that, you know how the elephant man had an elephant face? Well, this man had a horse's face. And, and he goes, and so I said to him, why the long face? You know, <laughs> it's like that yeah. joke, you know, I'm like, and as soon as I hear that, I'm like, wait a minute, did Emo Phillips come up with that joke? Because that is like, you know, the horse walks into the bar. Bartender says, why the long face, right? That's like one of the world's best dad jokes. And, and I'm thinking to myself after hearing that, my God, is that actually an Emo Phillips joke? I don't that think was, it is. I think it's, yeah. worth, it's probably worth some research, but it is an evocation or an allusion uh -huh. to a commonplace street joke. Why the guy walks, you know, horse walks into a bar. Bartender says, why the long face? Exactly. It's exactly. dumb. It's a stupid joke. It always a gets a laugh, joke. I know. <laughs> but it, it, it is part of the foundation of comedy. And it's almost as if by saying that, uh -huh. he's like, he's just saying, just hold on. Just hold on. We're, we're getting someplace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, as soon as it's there. And then he goes off on this whole riff about the guy where, you know, the guys, the, you know, he's like, um, you know, 
he assumes that, you know, he must have, oh, the guy's like, uh, you know, I've been made fun of my whole life because of my face or whatever. And, and then um, Emo Phillips is like, oh, it's okay, Flicka, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Trigger. Ed, you know, <laughs> just going through all these things where he's just like drilling into this guy for having the horse's face. And then he gets him even more with, uh, you know, um, do you believe in God? And the guy's like, no, I don't believe in God. Do you believe in God? And he's like, of course I believe in God. What do you think, you know, millions of atoms just randomly floating about the universe could have the sense of humor to come together and make you look like that? You know, <laughs> like, it's like the meanest possible thing you can say to a person in that moment, you know, <laughs> but he like figures out how to verbalize it in a way that's absolutely brilliant. So um, it's those and, lines. Yeah, go ahead. And that is touching on the, the emo Phillips persona where, mm -hmm. as I said, you have this sort of like innocent surface and weirdly innocent, but it's dangerously pointed uh -huh. right beneath the surface. This guy is not nice. He is no. always thinking about how, how terrible yep. you are, everyone else is, and how he's going to point it out to you. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, he's got this one joke uh, um, where it's like, uh, my boss called me into his office and said, emo, emo, emo. I said, I'm the one in the middle, you drunken fool. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, oh god just amazing so all right so then he they finally get to the part where it's actually about religion and this is the part that i mean i think is absolutely brilliant and i could probably just talk for hours about this and this alone so um you know he says well are you a religious man and the guy says um uh you know yes and you go, oh you know what type are you a jew or a Muslim or a Christian? And the man said, I'm a Christian. And I said, me too. Are you a Catholic or are you a Protestant? And he said, I'm a Protestant. And I said, me too. Are you a Baptist or are you a Lutheran or whatever? And he's like, or he goes, I'm a Baptist. And he goes, me too. Are you Northern Baptist or are you Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. Me too. Are you Northern Baptist Reform or Northern Baptist Conservative? Northern Baptist Conservative. Me too. Are you Northern Baptist Conservative Great Lakes Region or Northern Baptist Conservative New York Region? He said Northern Baptist Conservative Great Lakes Region. Me too. Are you Northern Baptist Conservative Great Lakes Region Synod of 1812 or Northern Baptist Conservative Great Lakes Region Synod of 1923? He said Northern Baptist Conservative Great Lakes Region Synod of 1812. And I pushed him off the bridge and said, die, heretic, or something like that. Like that's how, that's how the joke goes. And it's fucking brilliant. That joke, like, explains everything that's wrong with religion in like just the most succinct and perfect way. And all it does is name exactly how denominations work and, um, and totally just drags it down in the exact process of that. It's, fuck, it's fucking brilliant. Uh, so that's why I love that. That's why I love that show. Well, and the about that show for hours. well, the setup of it, right? The setup, it's prefaced, by these horse face jokes. It's yeah. prefaced by this guy who's tinkering with a trombone, talking about how yeah. ugly a guy is who said he was gonna kill himself because yeah. he's ugly. Yeah. But 
you know, Emo comes in and essentially, even though he can't contain himself and continues to affirm that the guy, in fact, is ugly, he has mm-hmm. a horse face and, you know, is probably doomed because of it. He nonetheless has this false premise uh-huh. that he's going to find some commonality and he, it's going to be based on a religious commonality. And I, I think from my standpoint, a lot of times religions tend to say, well, we want to do the right thing. In, in any event, the, you know, yeah. the, there's the premise of this. The, the pretext is obviously a criticism of religion, but even more so, I, I tend to parlay these things out, whether it's intended or not. The, the, it's a criticism of... Uh, people pretending to act good when in fact they're just not. And all the evidence from the very beginning of the joke is that this guy's a dick and maybe he's been taught or trained to, you know, try to help people, but ultimately he's selfish. And when he finds enough of a difference, which is based on some false premise belief of some synod, have you ever looked this up? By the way, Josh, you would, if anybody would, whether those are actual distinctions in uh, in the denominations that he's talking about. Well, I, I suspect that they probably are, because um, if I was to ask you to guess how many just Protestant denominations there are alone, what would be the number you would toss out of me? Dude, you are talking to the wrong man, but just I, guess. Just thousands, like- thousands. But give it like a number, like how many thousands? 10,000. 10,000. So your, your guess, and, and do you believe that you're overestimating for just like effect or maybe underestimating or just, so I, I'll give you the answer if you'd like. <laughs> please, please. I think, I think everybody wants to so, know now. <laughs> you know how, you know how in, uh, in, um, in like the history channel or whatever, they'll like tell you like some random number for like how much something could be and then they like give you a description of what that might look like but the description doesn't help you at all with like how much oh right so so they they're like you get a box from amazon now you would need you would need the number of boxes to fill up um you know the candlestick park that's how many yeah 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 they'll be like they'll, they'll say like um uh they the the amount of concrete used to build the Golden Gate Bridge, you could take that concrete and you could lay a sidewalk across the entire United States of America. And I'm like, that doesn't fucking help me at all. <laughs> I can't I can't even begin to picture that. What yeah, you you're mean? like, I have you... never left my neighborhood are you in, going... <laughs> in the Lower East Side. Like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know how long that is. Over mountains, too? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you going to get trouble? Like, what's happening here? Right. Who's, and who's pouring this concrete? Like, really? Concrete? Do we have oh, enough shovels? Not. You know, it, was, it wasn't enough that you said, like, you know, 100 million tons or whatever it was. Thank God that you pointed out that that was the amount used that that would needed to, like, do a sidewalk, to, to do a sidewalk across all of America. Because I wouldn't right. have understand the amount unless you said it like that, you know. Right. So um, in your project planning to build a sidewalk across America, <laughs> you'll have a rough estimate, you know, that you can submit in an RFP. So I'm going to put it to you like this. Are you ready? Yeah. There are approximately 37,000 species of bats 
there are more than 40,000 Protestant denominations. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not, it's not coincidence that those, are those numbers are close. It's not even close. That's the thing. It's like more than 5,000. There are like, there are easily more than 5,000. There are 5,000 more Protestant denominations than there are species of bats. Known See, species. I just have never, I've never looked at religion in those minute terms. I know they're out there because there are, if you drive through almost any town in the South or frankly, almost any town outside of big cities and big yeah. cities have tons of churches too, but you just don't mm -hmm. notice them because there's other stuff. Mm -hmm. You drive through, I was driving through this town called um, Bay City, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I swear it had two restaurants. It had a bar that was the parking lot was full of cars and i went into yep. the bar and there were like three people and i was like what the fuck am i missing like <laughs> is there an alien abduction here but this is how when you drive through it you've got two restaurants you get one two bars maybe a mm -hmm. uh, couple hotels but you got you must have 20 churches yep and there there's southern baptist there's um uh, Episcopalian, there's Presbyterian, there's first, second, third, fourth, fifth. There's all these sort of sub denominations, yeah. and they fill them up, or else they wouldn't exist. And, and everybody, and they all have their individual communities. And I didn't know. And and of course, even then, you know, like in the South, you have the African American churches, which mm -hmm. I guess are probably equally balkanized. I don't yep. know. Yeah, but, yeah, it's it's all part of the Protestant thing. All the African American churches, all the, they're all part of the same. The same, uh, the same, you know, sort of thing. They're counted among the forty thousand plus. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say that's the brilliance of the joke because it. I mean, you couldn't get much closer than Northern Baptist Great Lakes region, you know, conservative uh, sign out of eighteen twelve versus sign out of nineteen twenty three. But it's so often the closest of those kind of like uh, you know chasms or schisms that, uh, that become the most violent. You, you know what I mean? Uh, it's yes. so often the case. Because uh, there, there tends to be a personal yeah. issue that causes yeah. that schism, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's like, well, Mom Jones told Jim Smith that, he, you know, that his wife was a horse face. And yeah. that, was, that was the division. And then they come up with some uh, philosophical or... Um, what, what would you call it? Uh, um, some theological, theological, uh, doctrinal. It's almost like f formulating a doctrinal difference after the fact to substantiate your personal dispute, yeah. and therefore all of your followers then have to be uh, set against that particular belief system that, in fact, really is just a personal squabble. It's usually, and it's usually just a personal squabble more than anything else. It's, uh, it's leadership, uh, you know, it gets upset at other leadership. And so they break off and start their own thing. Um, that's almost always how it goes. And it, it's just all driven by, by personality in that way. And that's, by the way, how Emo Phillips came up with the joke. And on that episode, uh, you made it weird. They asked him about the joke and he said that he was taking a walk somewhere and he came across the church and the church had some long, ridiculous kind of name like that. And his initial reaction was, it's amazing that any of us believe in any of this, you know? 
<laughs> like what he what he walked away from when, by looking at the name of that, and then was like, I have to write a joke about this, and that's where that joke came from. Um, and uh, you know, really just brilliant in that way. And the you know the other layer of he, he himself being kind of a, a freakish sort of person in the way that his persona is, and then absolutely you know ripping apart this other person who's the same as him and in, in the exact same you know he's another human being who other people are ostracizing him because he's such a freak that ends up murdering him <laughs> because it's from just that close of uh his denomination i mean it's just it's absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant so do you think that where, where do you think the joke comes close to not working at any point or is it so strong from the outset? Could he have done something different to make it better, in your opinion? And I know it's kind of like asking, well, what, what would you have changed in The Sun Also Rises? Yeah. You know, what, what part of The Godfather would you have taken out? Oh. Um, I don't even know. I mean, some of the other great religious jokes that I can think of, and Bill Burr's got a great joke where he talks about, um, you know, we talk about priests as if, as if they're kind of like that special... Uh, his name is Greg. He got picked on in high school and he plays soccer on the weekends, you know, <laughs> like, he's just a normal fucking dude, you know, <laughs> like his legs are a little too hairy and that's just like what his life is, you know, <laughs> like just kind of dealing with the shit. And I think there's something really brilliant about that. So you could think about like other jokes that we know that are great where you could, he could really add layers along those lines. But, you know, in terms of what he's trying to do, I think you know, especially when he gets the religious part, you know, just the, just the, the absurdity of uh, the group's form and how they define themselves and, and then where they draw their kind of no-go lines is, uh, is perfect, you know, just as it is. So I, I can't think of really anything to add to it or change it. Um, unless you want to just take all the great religious jokes of all time and merge them into one <laughs> and then just have like, a religious joke that's so great that you hear it, you just shit yourself immediately <laughs> because it's like so completely brilliant. But uh, you could take this joke to mean essentially that we're bad people, also that we're just all fundamentally bad because yeah. it is it is a discussion yeah. of religion, and religion tends to be an organizing principle and yeah. also a a um, an emotional organizing principle and. Yeah at some point this guy who's talking about it just reverts to form with the natural human state which is chaos and violence yeah yeah and and the other piece is like if you're open to it you don't have to look far for the absurdity of the whole thing you know i mean he's finding the absurdity on the sign outside of the fucking church in the first place you know he doesn't have to go in and like listen to the liturgy to see where the absurdity is it's just right there punching you right in the face um, I had that realization, you know, with just ancient wisdom in general, you know, you think about like how much, you know, uh, my faith and Christianity as well as, as well as, uh, you know, um, Islam holds up a, an ancient book and, you know, um, we believe that like it, you know, is a life in and of itself and has, uh, you know, incredible power to transform a person's life. And we should, you know, spend all our days learning from it and trying to glean as much as possible from it. 
you know, meanwhile, it was written, you know, a few thousand years ago. And like, I don't trust the opinions of anybody who was born before 1950. <laughs> so, like, why am I, why am I like doing a deep dive into this book? That's, I mean, what could they possibly, what could they possibly know? What could they like possibly know that? I mean, I, I think it's cool in a way in that it, you know, a thing like the Bible creates an opportunity for an intergenerational conversation, but to lift it up to something holy to me is something that feels so ridiculous now, but it, the, the absurdity of that was staring at me in the face the whole time as I'm like, you know, listening to old people give advice. We talked about this on Sunshine and Brain and, and being like, yeah, I don't think I should have to listen to you at all. You know, <laughs> you clearly are from a totally different planet. It's not well, at all relevant today. And so, you know. But there are, there are people, and this is, this is where the timelessness of certain certain um, texts and artwork and other forms of expression uh, remain relevant. It's in their um, understanding of things that tend to transcend generationalism. They tend to be just part of what people call the human condition, right? I mean, I know that's a tired term, but it is what we're talking about. And, you know, in terms of the basic things, Right. So a lot of things then are deemed to be improper based on personal distaste, personal vendettas, uh, practical considerations, you know, that you don't want your population to die. Mm -hmm. Um, Perhaps in the context of, of being gay, just a maintenance of the, tribal species right just propagation i don't know no no that's not it at all there it's more that that's just what the helens were doing you know oh and so they didn't they didn't approve of it and and they were they were the enemy okay yeah yeah it's like you know if you're um if you're you're like that that must be fun we're gonna not do it yeah yeah exactly you know that you look at it like in terms you could put it almost in sports terms you know if you're a yankee fan you look at some of the traditions that the red sox hold in um in Fenway Park and you kind of look at it with disdain yeah sing Sweet Caroline again you know yeah that's great you're singing Sweet Caroline you live in fucking Boston congratulations that you sing Sweet fucking Caroline every single show every single game like how ridiculous is that because I'm a Yankee fan I'm like that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life we would never do something so stupid like that. Meanwhile, Yankee Stadium, there's like a Philly cheesesteak place, you know, where you can get Philly cheesesteaks, which I'm like, no, that's fine. It's Yankee Stadium, so we can do that. Right. You know, so um, it's sort of like that, only, you know, more dire, because these are your, like, enemy enemies. Um, so, yeah, that's what they do, so we don't, we don't do that, because that's what they do. Um, it's got no, there's no ethics to it, really, except it's an us and them situation. So... Interesting. Okay. Uh, I like that. I may keep yeah. some of that in. I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, Put it in the bank. Save it for another episode. So, yeah. Josh said. <laughs> and here's an excerpt. Right. Here's a blooper. It's not a blooper. It's just stuff. Yo, Sarah Silverman has, a, has an album out there that's uh, just phone messages from her mother. Have you ever heard it before? No. It sounds br- awesome. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant brilliant yeah i i don't even think we should talk about it i think people should just go listen to it and we could do a whole episode just on that it's absolutely that sounds, brilliant that sounds pretty good yeah um yeah. so this this particular joke can't be really improved um, i don't think so i mean do, do you do you think it could be improved 
I mean, I, I wouldn't know how to improve it. it. It kind of exists in its own space and time, and it has yep. a timelessness to it because yep. it's it's attacking very fundamental premises of what uh, what human beings tend to latch on as identity and uh, personal uh, value. Etc. And and again, like I said, it kind of just is an a, it, it's a statement about how terrible human beings really are. Yeah. Uh, no. It, yeah. A hundred percent. And and I and I just think it's doing what all great jokes do, which is it points out the absurdity of things that are right there in front of our faces that we just never notice because we didn't look at it in that way. You know that that's what all the great ones know how to do that to find the thing that's just completely absurd and then you look at it and go oh yeah that's totally ridiculous totally ridiculous <laughs> you know like, do you think it would have been different if he had used um the catholic church and yeah. some perhaps something that was not as fragmented and that has a centralized generally centralized um locus of authority i mean i know now it's not so much because uh, you know, the American Catholic Church kind of goes its own way and certain other places go their own way and the Vatican doesn't wield the type of power it once did. But it could. It could. But it could, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think it has the same punch. I think there's something really specific about the Protestant, um, you know, sort of the, the, the enormous mishmash of Protestant groups that really, that really allows this joke to be hammered home. I mean, you can find different groups in the, in the Catholic Church. You know, you've certainly got your Dominicans and your Franciscans and your Roman Catholics and your Irish Catholics and all those different things. And each church has its own kind of identity that's really unique and different. I mean, there's nothing better than a friend. Have you ever met a Franciscan before, like a Franciscan priest or a, or a Franciscan monk? Like, my God, these are some amazing human beings. Um, and, uh, um, but it just doesn't, it doesn't separate itself in the same way. You know, I guess you could maybe do that maybe with the Eastern church versus uh, the Catholic church. The great joke about the Catholic church is the one where, um, uh, so a, a Jewish man dies and goes to heaven. Have you heard this one before? Jewish man dies and goes to heaven. You, and, no, you'll, you'll need to tell more of it. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. It's not a Jewish man. It's a, it's an, an atheist dies and goes to heaven. And, um, you know, he's just a really good atheist. <laughs> so he wasn't going to go to hell. He was just a really, you know, he paid his taxes. He was uh, good in the community. He was nice to everyone. He was just a good atheist. Um, but, he, you know, he's, he's going to go to heaven. So he dies and he goes to heaven and uh, starts getting a tour around heaven by, you know, by God. And uh, God's like, all right, look, you've got all these great rooms since you're an atheist. We don't have a room for atheists, but you can just like choose which room you want to go to. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, here, like, here's the room for the Jews. So he opens up the door and shows them the room for the Jews. And it's like, unbelievable. There's clouds everywhere. You know, it's uh, all, um, you know, granite and marble. <laughs> like, just these huge, like, spreads of bagels and locks and schmear and all this good stuff. And, you know, um, never ending, uh, um, you know, food supply, and everything else. And people are just joyous and having a great time. Well, this is a great room you know, and, and let's see the other rooms. He goes to the Muslim room, peeks in, it's the same kind of deal, you know, um, just um, wonderful spread of food and good people having a great time and he'd be happy there too. And then they kind of like, you know, 
go past this one door and God kind of tiptoes a little bit. And he's like, why are we tiptoeing past this door? And he goes, oh, that's the Catholic room. They, they think they're alone up here. <laughs> that's funny. So have you heard that one before? That's a classic. I've never heard that one before. That's, that's a really classic. I, I, did not, I did not go to um, seminary or rabbinical school or anything like that. <laughs> you, you are certainly probably more, more filled with it than, than I am. I've got a few. I've got a few. But in terms of uh, the Protestant church, that's where you find a really huge difference. I mean, there's a big difference between someone who's like, you know, um, Lutheran or straight Methodist who can be like potentially very liberal in their politics and everything else. And then like a Pentecostal evangelical, you know, Southern, Southern Baptist, that's a whole different, it's just a whole different ballgame. And you, you can't really, I mean, you know, some of these groups are snake dancers, man. <laughs> I used to have this line that I would say to congregants, um, if we had like an event planned for outdoors and the weather wasn't looking that great or it started raining, they would, you know, somebody inevitably would come up to me and say, Rabbi, you know, you've got to, you know, you're a holy man. Can't you do something about this weather? And I would say to them, you know, I'm in sales, not management. <laughs> That's a question for the guy upstairs. I'm just down here in sales, man. It's a different, different thing. I don't have a, I don't have any say. Um, I don't have say in operations. Yeah. yeah. Different team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I would like to sit here and say that, you know, when you're at a snake dancer church and you're looking at these folks and you're trying to figure out why they're doing what they're doing, um, that that's like qualitatively different from what might have happened at just the reformed Jewish sleepaway camp that I went to that had a big impact on me. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's kind of on the same spectrum of the same thing, which is to say that people are finding their way to different community environments and figuring out how to really thrive in those spaces. And you're doing what it takes in those spaces to be able to thrive. So whether or not it's, you know, snake dancing or speaking in tongues and being the most fervent tongue speaker, because that's what makes the cute girl look at you, <laughs> you know, the same thing is happening in the, in the, you know, reformed Jewish sleepaway camp where you're learning guitar and you're getting the most in the song sessions and, because that's what it takes to make the cute girl look at you. Um, and so I, I think ultimately religion is ridiculous because the cute girls said that are out there. I think that's pretty much what's, uh, <laughs> what's going on you, here. You took, you, took, uh, you took that one extra leap, which isn't necessarily inaccurate. It is a way of <laughs> separating um, subclasses or subcultures in society and, and everyone deeming who's okay and who's appropriate to right. hang out with and to be with, right. Right. Um, you know, right. it, it, I think generally speaking, I have not ever been specifically excluded from a group to my knowledge other than I can tell when people don't like me, but it's right. not usually because I'm like, you know, waving a flag of uh, a religion or a political badge. Um, it's often just my personality. But you've, but, you, you've never been uh, uh, Jewish in a mall, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, um, you know, or, or, you know, just a black person driving a car. <laughs> like, what do you mean I, Jewish in a mall after Thanksgiving? Oh, dude, man. I oh, mean, you mean because, because of Christmas? I yeah. thought like there was a specific thing that happened on Black Friday for Jews 
that yeah. was like, what? No, that was uh, some of the greatest uh, uh, Jewish purges of all time happened on Black Friday. You know, first <laughs> Christians would go to the mall and then they'd come to the synagogue with uh, pitchforks and, and uh, um, you know, uh, axes and things like that. But no, 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 uh, no, it's, it's uh, like when I was a teenager, I used to get mad at it because I'm, you know, walking around the mall and all I hear are Christmas songs and I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, I live here too, you know, <laughs> like none of these are my songs. And then I found out later on that literally every single one of those songs were written by a Jewish person. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> we we yeah. did it to ourselves. We Irving did it Berlin. Did. Yep. We did although, although I don't think Gene Autry was Jewish. I'm, I don't think so, but Irving Berlin wrote half those songs, man. And, he did. Uh, he did. Yeah. I agree. I, we can't really complain about it. We can't really complain about it. You know, Irving, Irving Berlin wrote half those Christmas songs yeah. from like his house in Palm Springs, too, yeah. which yeah. is great. <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> Jingle bell. Jingle. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and he's just, he's like, he finishes 18 holes. He's going to go back out with Bing after lunch. He's yeah. like, I think I'll write me a Christmas song. Yeah, <laughs> it was unbelievable. So, uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I ultimately walked away from the whole religion thing because what I kind of, what it, what occurred to me was that all of these groups are essentially demanding of their people that they place these particular identities ahead of the human identity, which is, which is how that joke ends. Right. I mean, as awful of a person as Emo Phillips is, he's still working to see the, or his character is in the joke, he's still working to see the humanity in the other person. And it's only when he figures out that this person is a member of this, you know, um, rival faith that he then no longer sees the humanity in this person and pushes him off the bridge. But um, he's only seeking the humanity in that person because he has been instilled with a false premise of those whose lives are valued as people. Right, 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 exactly. Um, and so that ultimately became my, sort of my beef with it. You know, in, um, in the Talmud, which is uh, a, a set of really important books in the Jewish tradition, we won't get too deep into it, say for another podcast, but there's a really interesting discussion there um, where the rabbis ask why we have the book of Genesis in the first place. You know, the book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Um, that's where the creation of the heavens and earth happens. You get the story of Adam and Eve. You get the stories of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and the book ends as the small Israelite tribe is uh, following sort of Joseph into Egypt. Um, and that's where the book of Genesis ends. And so the rabbis look at that and they said, I mean... Yo, man, and they didn't say yo, man, but we'll put him. We'll put him in the now. They said yo, man. Depends what? on the translation. Yeah, yeah. This is my translation. They're like, why do we have this book Genesis when the Jewish story doesn't start until Exodus when Moses comes along? Like, we're just a family at this point, and the truth is, as we tell it, there's actually a lot of different peoples that comes out of this family, not just the Jewish people. So, like, why are we telling this as if, like, why even have the book of Genesis in the first place? We should start with the book of Exodus. And then they answer, well, the reason is to remind us that, you know, we're humans first and Jews and Israelites second. Like we should never put this identity in front of the other, basically saying if we do that, then um, we're forgetting what the ultimate lesson of our faith is supposed to be, which is, you know, to be kind to others um, and not just ourselves. 
And um, what I think is that we just, we failed miserably at that. <laughs> I think we've completely and utterly failed miserably at that. And I think we all have. Um, I think every single human identity in that way um, is an identity that we place before the identity of just being a human being. And because and of that, you, we're, yeah. And what you refer to then is the book of Ta-Nehisi Totes. Which is? Who's, which is, <laughs> I'll, I'll quote, do you know Ta-Nehisi Coates? No. He's an African-American writer, brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, his fundamental, one of, one of the things that changed my view, not only on race in America or mm -hmm. race anywhere, but on general identity issues is uh -huh. his statement that racism precedes race. That human beings tend to and have a desire to subordinate and oppress and find a uh pejorated yeah. class yeah before yeah. they even designate why yeah yeah that's definitely true and that comes along with religion it comes along with the racism it comes along mm -hmm. with any of it mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's along the lines of what you're saying. And, and I think this uh, podcast about a good joke has now taken a dark, dark turn. <laughs> but that's sort of the point, right? I mean, that's why yeah. we're doing this is how absurd that we're doing basically literary review of jokes. Um, it's not and, absurd. It, it's not absurd. The smartest, most creative verbal artists are comedians. Yeah. Look at the quality of the thought processes. Look at the the art and we'll get into this later on in other episodes mm -hmm. the 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 attention to detail it's easy to mess up a joke it's yeah. just so easy you have to be attentive to detail or you yeah. mess it up and yeah that's that's what it's all about oh. and the, these are brilliant people who just are wanting you know a lot of times i don't like it when comedians say well why are you criticizing me i'm just a comedian i'm like you're probably the most important voice that people will hear because yeah, it comes in in a way that doesn't feel like pontificating. It doesn't feel didactic. It mm -hmm. feels as if, oh, oh, you're right. Oh, right. man. Oh, wow. Right. Good point. Good point. Right. No, that, that, that's, that's 100% exactly it. And I, and I know for me and also for you in terms of uh, just our life stories, right? I mean, so much of what ultimately impacted just the way that I see the world is my, you know, relationships with these human beings who I never met before, um, but who, you know, opened my eyes to new ways of seeing, of seeing things and coming to perspectives that really has made a difference for me. Um, so I'd love the idea of, you know, just, just for that, if for no other reason, just picking jokes one week at a time or whatever, and doing a deep dive into each joke and thinking about how it makes us feel. And, uh, um, and uh, seeing where the conversation then goes off of that. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty amazing in terms of where it takes us. In the meantime, we still haven't come up with a name for this fucking thing. <laughs> I don't know. But I will say in, in response to what you just said, you do the feeling part. I'll do the thinking part. Because, you know, as you said at the beginning, uh, you know, or in, in conversation, I, I, uh, I have no uh, emotional um, side to me. I'm just... I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, I'll be the dead person over here uh, talking person. about the joke. We still don't have a name. I, we don't know what to call it. The punch works, but I'm afraid people will think it's a boxing podcast. Uh, 
I'm thinking like the setup or the the setup of the premise. There is another podcast called The Premise, but I don't know that that matters. Or the setup. Oh, I don't or, think it matters. I mean, yeah. Um, or just call it jokes. You know, is there a podcast called Jokes? <laughs> <laughs> it just seems too easy, right? It seems too easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a category. <laughs> yeah, that might be the way to go. That might be the yeah. way to go. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here on Jokes. Um, <laughs> join us next time on Jokes. We'll talk about religion next time on Jokes. Oh, dude, you you next time on Jokes, Eric will be the joke on Jokes next time. <laughs> when we get off, I'm going to tell you a couple of jokes religious jokes i'm going to record them i might include them as a bonus i got I yeah can, i got if one I can more too. tell them all right i got maybe one more too i think you might like it it requires a sound effect though so we'll see we'll see if it works. we can edit that in all, all right. right let's do it all right thank you next time on thank jokes you. yep on jokes <laughs>